Chapter 16 of Mabel Ross, The Sewing Girl. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 16 Died at Her Post. Hilda had now taken her place in the sewing room of her new employer. The thirty-five or forty cents a day, which was promised herself, was all that was paid to those among whom she labored, and it was not long before she discovered that a general dissatisfaction prevailed regarding the wages paid. "'Such a pittance don't keep body and soul together,' said to Hilda an intelligent, bright-eyed girl of about twenty, who appeared to be a leading spirit among the little company. I'd like Steen himself to be portioned out by it for a month or two. Perhaps it might open his crab Jew heart a little. It would be a good thing if he could be made to go to work with pen and paper and figure out how a poor girl is to live on it. Let him put down, in black and white, the cost of lodging and of board, with clothes and fuel, and bring the amount anywhere near the money that can be made by working for him. Look, too, what it costs us in shoes if we trot back and forth to his store. Or what car pay comes to, if we live so far off we can't walk. I keep a strict account of all I get and all I spend, and I know exactly what a girl can do on Steen's pay. I know that one pair of good boots will last me just eight weeks, and I'm not so hard on my shoes as many another. So there's over two shillings a week for boots alone at present prices, and that's only one out of many things to be settled for. I tell you, Hilda Ross, I look with pity on every girl that gets into the clutches of this steen. I've seen more girls get broken down and ruined at his work than at any others, and I worked three years before I came to him and have only been with him thirteen months. I've only worked at Lellerman before, said Hilda, and I thought him bad enough, but this Steen is worse. I've heard plenty of Lellerman, too, was the reply. I've heard plenty of them all. I know them out and out. But why is it the sewing girls can't make these men do better by them? asked Hilda. Suppose they were to refuse to work but for better wages. Wouldn't that settle it? Yes, but for the crowds of women and girls wanting work so badly that they'll take it at any price. If all would act together and could afford to starve till their employers were forced into decent terms, it would work well enough. But unfortunately, we all have to eat and drink and must have a place to lay our heads in, so there's no forcing them into a mend. There'll be a mighty day of reckoning for these men, exclaimed Hilda, a sudden fire in her eye. If all the evil they're the cause of is put down against them, and why won't it be? Isn't God looking on? Why, where will they stand? Tell me that now. Where will they stand? Hilda's companion regarded her with surprise. You're a regular little go-ahead one, she said, and have eyes and ears for everything. I like that. I wish more of the girls were so, instead of being the easy, weak sort they are. They sit crying over their work day and night, taking everything as it comes, as if there was nothing for them to do but to take it. Poor things, because they've been at it so long that their hearts and souls are crushed out of them. Do you believe all the heart and soul could be crushed out of you or me? asked her companion. 
I tell you no. Oh, Hilda Ross, what a thing it would be if there were an army of women and girls like you and me in Chicago. Something might be done then. Something would be done. And let me tell you, if anything ever is done for the poor sewing women of this town, it's the sewing women themselves will have to do it. And maybe this something will be done, she added, looking curiously at Hilda. Maybe even the poor, sickly, crushed set we have at Steen's will get their courage up for trying it. It will be a little matter, to be sure. A little matter to succeed or fail in, many would say. But it may be the first stone rolled that brings down a mountain. Some have said not to speak to you about it, because you are a new hand. But I know you may be trusted, and that you're of the sort we want. She then went on to explain that there was a strike actually in contemplation, and that this was something entirely new in the course of sewing women and in the experience of their employers. Say nothing about it, she said in conclusion. If Steen gets to know of it before it's actually commenced, he has the whip hand of us. The greater surprise it comes to him, the better. Suppose it's altogether a surprise. Do you expect much from it? asked Hilda, whose interest was aroused by the relation. It's impossible to tell what may come of it, was the reply. Steen's a man without a soul, but then, like all such men, he's a rank coward at heart, and may be willing to come to reason rather than have the whole thing brought against him. For, however it appears that we poor sewing girls are overlooked with our troubles by the community, there is, every once in a while, an interest excited for us, and even some talk of doing something to better our condition. God knows it needs bettering. Of course, you've heard of the affair of Peggy Bonner and Roxy Billings. No, what was it? I thought Harriet Prince might have told you, as she was intimate with poor Peggy and Roxy. I ought to have begun by telling you about them, for the truth of it is, it's the very thing that's roused the girls to the point of this strike. Roxy and Peggy were cousins, and lived like sisters together. They rented a little room on the lower end of Lincoln Street and boarded themselves. They could only live by a regular scratching through, like the rest of us, and Roxy, who was a delicate girl, soon began to sink under it. They had never worked so hard till they came to Steen's, because Peggy had had a mother living with a life interest in quite a nice little property, and this mother had brought up Roxy, who was a sister's child, like her own, and they all lived comfortably together, the girls doing the work of the house. Fortunately, they had a good sewing machine, and when Mrs. Bonner died and someone else came in for the money they had all lived on, they began to work at sewing for a living. Then they came to Steen's to work. As I was telling you, Roxy was delicate, and after a while she got into such poor health that she had sometimes to stay at home for a day, or maybe two or three days together. She couldn't sit to her sewing machine, you see, she was so weak. By and by, she got so much worse that Peggy had to stay home sometimes with her. Then Steen threatened to dismiss Peggy, making out he didn't believe she was nursing her cousin, but taking holidays for amusement. Amusement, indeed. I'd like to know where she'd have found heart or money for amusement, so near ruin and starvation. At last, after a great deal of threatening and trouble, 
Steen generously consented, as the poor girls had been working for him for nearly two years, and didn't they deserve something for standing by him that long at his prices? He consented, I say, that Peggy should work for him at home, but brought down the price from that he paid at the store to two-thirds only. How these two poor girls had supported themselves long as they had is a mystery to those that put two and two together, and that know that bread doesn't come like manna from the clouds, and shoes and calico dresses don't grow on trees. Maybe they were helped by some of those who claim a price to be paid in another world as well as this. They were open to suspicion, since they did live, and were not yet reduced to their last rag, so some whispered it of them. But, if it were so, was the fault all theirs? Hilda Ross, was it? I put that question to myself again and again, and from my heart, lighted by the best knowledge I have of right and wrong, there has come this answer. The deadliest weight of the sin is on those who drove them to it. If a poor beast is driven into water and kept there, is it his fault if he drowns? Then how is it with these poor girls? I tell you, Hilda Ross, starvation, cold, and rags are hard things to face, even when in the distance. Harder still to bear when they are upon you. And when there are those at hand who tend the aid which is ruin, poor human nature has to be hedged in with a good deal of the angel to stand it. See, I have decent clothes, and so have I a decent home, and enough, in reason, to eat and drink. But how have I these? Why, because I have two good brothers who let me spend what I make on my clothes, or as I choose, not taking board of me, though I have no time with my sewing to keep house for them. But does that make Steen's prices better? Does it make it easier for others to live on them? Indeed it doesn't, replied Hilda. But you haven't finished about Peggy and Roxy. Well, the finishing is near at hand. These poor girls went on long as they could, suffering and suffering, without complaint too, for they were of the spiritless patient sort we were speaking of, till one day a person in the house, remarking that she hadn't seen them about since the day before, went to their room, and there found both the poor things dead. Dead? repeated Hilda, her cheeks and lips quite pale. Yes, dead of cold and neglect, the one stiffened upon her bed, the other at her sewing machine. Probably Roxy died first, and without her cousin knowing what had happened. But it was plain poor Peggy had been trying to get through her night work, for she often sewed night as well as day to earn her pittance for the morrow. It was an intensely cold spell, and she had used up her coal. The last was found in the little stove, burned to ashes, and working in that bitter cold was more than life could stand. It was said there was an aid society going to do something for them, or talking about doing something for them, and that it was the work promised by these ladies poor Peggy was looking for from day to day. But I don't know. Anyhow, Nothing was done for them, and that cold night ended all their troubles. There should be another great hood to write a story about that girl, Hilda, and it should be called Dying on Her Post. For wasn't it so? 
just as the oil of her sewing machine was frozen, so was the blood in her veins still and dead. I have heard and known of strange and sad things about sewing girls, but never anything so sad and terrible as this of Peggy and Roxy. There was trouble taken to keep it out of the papers, and it was kept out. But it got to be known to a good many besides Steen's people, for all that. When did it happen? questioned Hilda, in a whisper. Late last February. It made a great stir at Steen's, with all his trying to keep it down, and this business of the strike has been working ever since. It ought to have come right upon it. But there are always slow coaches on these things. I believe if the strike had come at the right time, it would have made its mark for every sewing woman in Chicago. But better late than never. Our little affair may come to something, last as well as first. By the time Debbie Curtis had finished her relation, she and Hilda found themselves at the home of the latter, for it was during their walk from their place of work that the relation was made. They parted almost in silence, Hilda so much impressed by the melancholy story of poor Peggy and Roxy that she could think or speak of nothing else during the remainder of the evening. The whole of it was repeated to Mabel, with exception of the contemplated strike which was the result. This, for private reasons, she determined to keep to herself. The story of Peggy and Roxy haunted Hilda's sleeping as well as waking thoughts. She dreamed she was present in the room of the poor girls on that night of terrible cold, though in a condition that left her no power of motion or even ability to make a cry. She knew what was happening, knew what was about to happen, yet was without power to assist in any way the unfortunate cousins. Still, with a sort of fascination which was terrible to her, the scene before her engaged all her attention, and particularly was her interest fixed upon the poor girl who was about to be overtaken by death while busy at the instrument which had been her means of livelihood. To the dreamer's fancy, it seemed that the sewing machine was a thing of life, like poor Peggy herself, and that it struggled like her for the vital spark which was departing from it. The oil of the machine was frozen, like the blood in her veins, both cold and stiff, Debbie Curtis had said. To Hilda's fancy it was all blood, springing, running, deep red blood, contending with the icy chills which were stealing around it. She was agonizingly conscious of the whole scene, though at the same time quite insensible to any personal inconvenience from the cold. She heard the whir and click of the machine, and saw the busy wheels run and the treadle rock. She saw the hands of the toiler, too, plying busily her work, striving, it seemed, by rapid motion to fight off the enemy that had marked her for his own. The fire got lower, the room chillier, the hands stayed and bungled over their work, the running gear of the machine became clogged. Then an icy, icy coldness filled the room. It fell everywhere. It turned to icicles the breath of the workwoman. A stone-like stillness crept over her. The sound and motion of the machine were over. Life had departed from both. Peggy had died at her post. End of chapter 16